Why choose a Sleep Number smart bed? Because no two people sleep the same. Only the Sleep Number smart bed lets you each choose your individual firmness and comfort your Sleep Number setting. The Climate 360 smart bed is so smart, it actively cools or warms up to 13 degrees on either side for your ideal sleep temperature. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now save 40% on the Sleep Number special edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. To find a store near you, visit sleepnumber.com. And welcome to the Parentologist Podcast. I am your host, Dr. Kim. The Parentologist Podcast is a show about everything parenting with a therapeutic twist. I have a doctor in psychology and am a licensed marriage and family therapist, a registered play therapist, university professor, writer, and mom of two. Each episode of the Parentologist Podcast focuses on a variety of topics related to parenting, family, children, and mental health. I'm glad you're here. On today's episode, we have Dr. Heather Jeffcoat, and she's a graduate of University of California, San Diego, and the Doctor of Physical Therapy program through Duke School of Medicine. She founded Fusion Wellness and Femina Physical Therapy in 2009 and now has four LA locations and also offers telehealth consultations. That's amazing. Your work focuses on pelvic and sexual health education for all, and she lectures internationally at the Female Sexual Dysfunction and Chronic Pelvic Pain. Uh, You are also the author of Sex Without Pain, a self-treatment guide to the sex life you deserve. I can't wait to read that. (laughs) And you've also been featured in numerous online radio and television spots, including ABC, The Washington Post, Cosmo, Glamour, Huffington Post, U.S. News and World Report, and more. That's phenomenal, Heather. Thank you so much for being here today. Oh, thanks so much for having me, Kim. So I know this is a a, a pretty... um, just educational topic that I can't wait to dive in and talk to you about. Um, as I was mentioning to you offline a little earlier, I had a, a conversation with a friend who had told me she was, you know, kind of concerned because she was having some pain during intercourse and wasn't sure if she, you know, should go to the doctor or how she could make it better and this and that. And so she ended up seeing her OBGYN and they recommended that she goes to a pelvic physical therapist. And at the time I didn't even know that existed. You know, I've been to a physical therapist myself, you know, after a car accident and, you know, I've I've known people go for different reasons, but I didn't know there was a specialization in that. And I was immediately just fascinated with the concept and then, you know, was diving more into your, you know, Instagram and, and website and the different things that you offered on education for this. And I can't wait to share it with other people because I know my friend and others are not alone in this. I know there's many, many people out there that are suffering from painful intercourse and so forth. So um, I'm excited to dive right in. <laughs> Let's go ahead and get started. If you could share with us first, you know, maybe some reasons women have pain during intercourse. Yeah. And, you know, even if I can just like, in case this topic might feel too, you know, hush hush for people. The American College of Obstetricians and Gynecologists actually came out and said, um, and it's on their website, that three out of four women will experience painful sex for extended periods of time at some point in their lives. So this is not like something that you all know someone that's dealing with this, and you may even be dealing with this. So, um, you know, that's just one thing I hope to dispel, that it's not this like rare thing, but it is definitely a hush-hush stigmatized thing. And and I just appreciate you so much getting the word out on this. Yes. yeah, but to, to your question, um, there are definitely many reasons that people can have pelvic pain or like 
uh, vaginal pain, vestibular, like vulvar pain, like closer to the opening um, when they're having sex. And the first thing, though, you need to be ruled out for like medical organic causes of pain. So, you know, whether you have an infection or you might have like a cyst or something like that is something that a pelvic floor physical therapist would not treat. But what we're looking at after those medical causes have been ruled out are the other things in the area. You have muscles, you have fascia, you have nerves. And so we're assessing those structures specifically, like locally at the pelvic floor muscle, but we're also looking at how other things can affect your um, ability to, for example, like be able to fully relax those muscles because they're muscles just like any other muscles in the body. So we're also looking at like posture and muscle imbalances and flexibility and strength and things like that to get a bigger picture about why this could be happening to you. Wow. That's, yeah. No, I mean, that's, my my brain is kind of swirling as you're telling me all these things, you know, Um, you know, because you said, like, like you had mentioned, it is, I mean, three out of four, I mean, that's, that's pretty common, you know, so you know, if someone's having some some pain uh, in their pelvic area, you know, or during insertion, during intercourse, you know, when should they maybe go see an OBGYN or maybe, you know, go to see someone like yourself, um, you know, for the painful intercourse? I mean, is it, if it's, you know, painful, maybe one or two times and then it's done, um, you know, maybe they can move on. But, you know, if it's consistent, um, you know, you know, like you said, you know, we have to rule out some medical things first because I'm thinking in my head, you know, could it mean that they have ovarian cancer or something like that? You know, when right. does someone worry? Like, when does it come to that point where they need to maybe go seek some professional help? Yeah, right. And the C word cancer is always like such a scary thing that so many people do jump to. And it's not an it's not an uncommon thing. I personally have known two people that have had it. So um I, I totally get that, you know, jump to that concern. But the the first thing that's most likely causing this in the majority of people is either like an infection or like it's not uncommon to get a cyst um called a Bartholin cyst, um, in that uh like right the uh, vulvar area right before the vaginal opening. Um, there could be hormone issues. So, I mean, I would say that if you have like a one-off instance of pain that, you know, that happens, like maybe you weren't as aroused, maybe you needed a little bit more lubricant if you're usually losing lubricant. And maybe there is something hormonal, like maybe you're perimenopausal, you're not producing as much natural lubricant and, you know, you need to start getting some other stuff on board. So I say like try lube and see if, if that helps. But if you're still experiencing the same kind of pain beyond that, like you know, session two and beyond, then make an appointment with your doctor, have them check you out, rule you out medically. Um, You know, the unfortunate thing is a lot of doctors will say there's nothing wrong. And then that can be really devastating because it's like, obviously there's something wrong. You went to the doctor, right? So um, I think it's, if your doctor is not aware enough that they can refer you or they don't know of pelvic floor physical therapists in the area, they at least like if, if they tell you there's nothing wrong, but you're having pain, then you should just go to, there's a couple different websites I can give you for your notes, or I can say them on air that people can go to, um, as well to find a local pelvic floor physical therapist. Yeah, that would be great. Um, I want, I want that information because I think we should say it on air and then, you know, we can add it, you know, later on in writing so they know where they can exactly click on it and whatnot to, you know, to get that. Yeah. Help. And um, so f- for, okay. So for physical therapy uh, specifically, you if you're listening to this and you're in the U.S., you would go to uh, 
aptapelvichealth.org, and that stands for American Physical Therapy Association. So aptapelvichealth.org, and there's a PT locator function on there. And that will give you, you know, your radius if you want to go 10 miles, 50 miles, depending on how rural you are, what type of specific care you need. Um, And then um, if you're more international, there is the International Pelvic Pain Society, their pelvicpain.org, and they have... um, physicians, nurse practitioners, physical therapists. So it's more multidisciplinary for those of you that are both in the U.S. or or out of the U.S. That's fantastic. Such a great resource. Now, one more quick question before we move on from something that you had just mentioned is lube. And I know not all lubes are the same or created equal. (laughs) Um, What type would you suggest if someone, you know, is more dry, you know, during intercourse, what would you suggest? Is there not actually, you know, if you have a brand name, that's great, but um, would you suggest something like baby oil or would you suggest, you know, something else? What, what, what do you normally recommend to your clients? Well, well, not baby oils. Um, so because that tends to like increase infection. So if you want to use an oil, then it would be more of like a natural coconut oil. So you could either do like a fractionated coconut oil, which means that it's liquid at all temps because some people like that. But you could also just use like your coconut oil that's solid at room temp and use that instead. Um, and it's, it's really based on preference. So some people like the more natural, um, so they, they tend to go towards oil-based, but just important to note, if you're using condom as a type of contraception, oils do degrade condoms. So you should not be using oil-based lubricant if you have um, that as your primary contraception source. Um, most of my patients tend to start with water-based lubricants that are like paraben-free and glycerin-free. So that would be some key things to look for um, on the label. And um, there's also silicone-based, which is fine, but it's silicone, so it's not natural, but silicone is longer lasting. So if your problem is you just seem even with a water-based lubricant that it just doesn't seem to last very long, you may need to opt for silicone or some companies have hybrid silicone um, water-based. And silicone is condom compatible. So those would kind of be some general recommendations without, uh, you know, brand dropping. (laughs) Right. Exactly. Exactly. Um, No, thank you for that. Because I know that's something I, you know, wasn't going to ask you originally, but when you brought it up, I thought that'd be something great to have because, you know, I think, like you said, if you're perimenopausal or for whatever the reason is, um, sometimes, you know, I want to make sure that, like you said, it doesn't, with baby oil causing, like, let's say more infections and things like that. So let's get back to the pelvic floor a little bit. Um, Can you describe, you know, what is pelvic floor dysfunction? Oh, yes, absolutely. And, um, you know, it's really just an umbrella term. So it's, even though it is officially a diagnosis, it doesn't really tell any provider what your dysfunction is, right? So with pelvic floor dysfunction, it could be either due to like an underactive pelvic floor or an overactive pelvic floor. So, um, and these are just examples because there are exceptions to every rule, but a classic underactive pelvic floor typically presents with a problem such as stress urinary incontinence. Like I can't jump on the trampoline anymore. I had kids. Like usually they have an underactive or at least like a, a not 
properly coordinated or an incoordinated pelvic floor. Um, sometimes with pelvic organ prolapse, um, that is also underactive, although that can have overactive components, which makes it a little bit more complicated to treat, but not, not too complicated, not for me because I'm experienced, but you know, you have to be able to assess that and, and know what you're treating. And with a purely underactive pelvic floor, doing things like Kegel exercises would be fine. But if there's any overactive pelvic floor component, then doing Kegels can actually make your problem worse or at the very least not make it better. So the examples of the overactive pelvic floor would be um, painful sex, chronic pelvic pain, um, girls, women, or anyone born with a uterus that has, you know, pain from the time they like start having their first period, for example. And so they just kind of have like chronic pain that during their cycle that can start to develop into pain that's not on their cycle. Um, bladder pain syndrome, which used to be called interstitial cystitis, which is like severe urinary urgency and frequency. Um, if you can like, put it on a spectrum, but also someone that just has urinary urgency and frequency um, with or without bladder leakage, they tend to have overactive pelvic floors as well. So there's more of a like muscle relaxation component that needs to happen before you do Kegels or other exercises. And, you know, that the big myth to dispel is that just because you have pelvic floor dysfunction does not mean you should Google like how to do Kegels and start doing Kegels because for the majority of cases, Kegels are inappropriate. Hmm, interesting. Interesting. Now with some of that pain that you mentioned, I know we talked about the bladder, when it comes to hormonal changes, you, you mentioned, you know, different things that happen, obviously, you know, during the month. Um, when I, I, I've heard that there is some people that experience pain during when they're ovulating. And is that something that would be possibly um, like part of pelvic, pelvic floor dysfunction? Or is that something different? Well, so that would be something different. That's like ovulation pain, but that can create a secondary pelvic floor dysfunction. Like there, so if you think about what muscles do anywhere in our body, they guard around areas of pain. So when you're talking about the location of your ovaries, your pelvic floor may guard um, around that pain. Your hip flexors um, in front might guard like your lower abdominal region. Um, the muscles there may also start to guard because that's what our muscles do. You know, like if you're, if your back hurts, you don't like, uh, like you protect it when you bend over, right? Or you don't bend over, you stop doing things. So, um, yeah, it's more like a secondary effect, not a cause. Mm, got it. Okay. So yeah, but, I, but actually I would, I would like, I'd like to just throw on real quick though. However, um, you know, I'll have some patients that have like a, like have a hysterectomy, for example, like complete where they don't have their uterus or not their ovaries anymore, but I'll, they'll still feel sometimes like ovulation pain or they'll still feel like their period pain. And that's oftentimes due to how our muscles can, uh, the trigger points in the muscles can recreate pain where you're not pressing. So it's called referred pain. And so there's a, like a muscle in the pelvic floor that can do that for the ovaries. And then there's also a muscle in the low back that can reproduce pain in the uterus. So, so sometimes people think they have like cramping, which they do, but that's not a hundred percent their pain. Maybe it's half coming from their low back dysfunction, half coming from their pelvic or from their uterus, for example. Hmm. That's so interesting. So speaking of muscles, you know, um, can stress make the muscles tighten and thus hurt more during intercourse? Absolutely. Um, stress is a huge 
factor and doing stress reduction uh, strategies is just one of like the sort of multimodal treatments that we want to get on board for our patients. Um, you know, and, and it's for different reasons. So one thing we know about stress is the place in our nervous system that, that that is sort of coming from or feeding into. So it's making us or keeping us in what's called like an upregulated state. It's that like alert, hyper vigilant alert state when we think like a tiger is chasing us or stalking us. Right. Mm-hmm. And if we're stressed, that's kind of what we are. Like we're just really like amped up and, you know, internally how our brain processes any pain that we have when we're in that amped up state is it basically turns up the volume. So any pain that we are experiencing turns louder. So like, you know, sometimes even pushing somebody like with a pressure can actually feel like a pain. And that's very common in the people with chronic pain. They have something called allodynia, like more pain at a lower threshold to sort of simplify how that you know, could be defined. Um, now someone that has more like just pain with penetration, you know, the stress from that would be like more local, but also feeding into the brain. So maybe not necessarily that they're like in general, like an upregulated person, but just that, well, Hey, I've already had pain when I tried to have sex and the last three times I tried to have sex. So therefore this is also going to hurt. So you'll start to expect that pain and you'll already start tensing that mu- the muscles locally, like your, mm-hmm. your inner thigh muscles, your pelvic floor. And then when you contract those muscles, it will tighten your pelvic floor. Um, and then that will make it almost like a self-fulfilling prophecy. Like now you've created less space for that penetrative intercourse, or if you're using a toy or something like that, you're, you've already created like a not optimal environment. So not having ease with that activity, you know, is sort of a different type of stress, but yeah, it can definitely apply in both cases. Wow. And like you said, it's almost, you know, just, it, it, it's almost like a domino effect, you know, because our brain and our bodies and they're all connected and, you know, the stress. And then you said like previous experiences, if, if it's been painful, then, it, it, oh, wow, it just, it all goes together. And it's, it's, it's answering so many questions I know that I've had, you know, for about myself and, you know, for others, like I said. So, and let me, we're going to shift a little bit because I have so many questions I want to ask you. <laughs> I don't even know where to start, but let's, let's talk about that just for a second. Um, this is something that's come up before um, is just a question in, 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 you know, conversations. Is it true from your clinical perspective that if you don't use it, you lose it in the sense of if you don't have frequent intercourse, maybe because you're avoiding it because it's been painful in the past or whatnot, um, could it hurt more when you start having sex again because the muscles are out of shape? Um, and then maybe how can women or how can people um, fix that? How can they get those muscles back into shape? So I, I love that you brought that up. And so it's not so much that you've like lost it, like you just sort of like misplaced it, I would like to say, because okay, I like you, that. <laughs> you can find it again. Um, I mean, the muscles do, do, they respond like any other muscles. So let's say you're doing a lot of core strengthening, your pelvic floor is a part of, is an essential part of your core. Um, if you're always tightening, 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 and it's never getting stretched, like through either using a dildo or a vibrator or a partner, um, 
I mean, it'll lose flexibility over time. Like it, it just, it will. And, um, and, you know, it kind of depends on how much time. And for some people, they might be able to go a year without, or other people can't go like maybe three months without before they feel like things have kind of tightened up again. And it depends on a lot of things that don't even necessarily have to do anything with the pelvic floor itself, such as like, do you also have low back pain, hip pain, because a lot of those two conditions can affect your pelvic floor often so that you sort of have like another driver to pelvic floor dysfunction in that case, how upregulated you are, as we talked about before. So it could have all these other things to do beyond you just not having sex. Um, but you can find it again. And, um, you know, if, if lubrication doesn't help and your doctor says you're in the clear, like we said before, um, like get it, finding a pelvic floor physical therapist that treats sexual dysfunction specifically, um, cause we don't all treat it. Um, some people just treat more incontinence. So you have to make sure you're with the right provider. And, right. um, so, and there's people like me that treat it all, but you know, I've been a therapist for a while. <laughs> so, <Yes. laughs> um, yeah, but, uh, yeah, it's, it's, uh, you, you, it's misplaced. You can find it again. <laughs> oh, that's, that's good to know. That's good to know for, you know, people out there that are experiencing that, you know, and so now I want to go into a little bit on how to possibly get, find it again <laughs> to get to that place, Yeah, you know, so I want to just ask you a little bit about what dilators, I know you, meant, you know, mentioned a few things, you know, if someone wants to possibly start strengthening those muscles before actually having intercourse, let's say with their partner, you know, let's talk about maybe how dilators can help or maybe some other types of um, toys or things they can maybe do with their partner, um, you know, or alone to try and strengthen those muscles. Will you talk a little bit about that for just a moment? Right. And so, um, and you know, you said what a lot of people will say to me, they, they sort of view it as like, I need to get the muscles stronger. Like I probably need to do kegels, but if you're having sexual pain, um, most likely you need to use dilators, which actually help you lengthen or stretch the muscles. So, mm-hmm. um, like in my book, I go over a whole program that's really meant to be for people to be able to self-treat and you use something called a dilator kit. So a dilator is a medical device that comes with like, a small size, usually about like the size of your index finger, as far as how wide it is, you know, like the size of a petite tampon, but they're a little bit longer. So you essentially have like a handle to them. And then they go up in size to what, like most dilator kits that I've seen, the largest size in the basic kits are good for like 90% of my patients. Uh, For my other, which I call them sometimes the unlucky extra 10% because, you know, it takes them longer to reach their goal. Um, Only they just have to spend more time with me, I guess. So uh, that's, you know, you either can get specialty larger dilators or like I tell patients too, like you can go get a vibrator that's a larger size and more naturally shaped because usually they're like smooth practice plastic rods um, are the ones that I use for my program, um, rigid. And so you can do things like them uh, or with them, like uh, trigger point release of the muscle, like internal stretching and massage techniques that I go over um, in my book and also teach patients in my offices because they're muscles, right? We talked about that. There's other things there. There's fascias, there, there's nerves. So, you, you know, you're mobilizing that restricted tissue, um, whatever it is, um, and you like progress from like the small size to the larger size. And eventually, you know, we talk about a transition to pain-free intercourse, which my book also talks about transitioning to intercourse too, but they are medical devices and, um, and 
rigid, I do believe works best for most types of sexual dysfunction, but they also come in silicone. Mm -hmm. uh, so they're a little more bendy. So if you think, if you can envision doing like um, internal stretching, if it's too small and bendy, it's not going to work really well, but there is value for silicone in certain cases. Like if my patients have had like radiation to their pelvic floor because I'll see people after they've had cancer. So um, that, that can, that's a whole other topic um, as far as the changes for that. But um, they right. also sell stainless steel ones. They sell yeah. glass ones and the glass ones will not break in you, not if they're made properly. Um, so you have to make sure you're um, getting the right, the right kind from the right source. So, so yeah, they're, they're made of all sorts of different materials, but I really prefer, I go between uh, hard like plastic or usually ABS plastic or a um, silicone. Okay. Interesting. I didn't know there was so many different types of material out there. Now, where would someone find one? Do you need a medical prescription to get one or is it over the counter? They're over the counter. Um, you know, I sell the ones that we use most often in my office. There's also a website that I refer a couple of different websites. I refer people to, um, that you can get full kits as well. So, um, so yeah, they're available. I don't, like anything, if you're going to put it in your vagina, I'm sorry, don't get it on Amazon. <laughs> so okay. like find, find a local business and support like your local business directly because you just don't know. I, I don't know what warehouse that's been stored in for how long. I just don't sure. know. So, you know, there, there are, um, there are specific places that you can get those. Okay. That's good to know. Thank you. That was a good tip. Um, now let's talk about, you know, when people want to have intercourse, whether it's they, you know, use a dilator first and then ease into it or whatnot, what are some sex positions, um, intercourse positions that may help someone have less pain during sex? And, you know, I do try to blanket statement like good positions for people that have painful sex, but honestly, it depends on why you're having pain. So, um, you know, one thing I talked about prolapse, but I didn't talk about prolapse, um, which is where the organs are dropping. They're not like in their tucked up spot, like they're supposed to, they're kind of falling down into the vaginal canal a little bit. Hmm. Um, like that will typically cause deeper pain, like, like with deeper thrusting and, um, uh, like pe people with endometriosis also tend to have like a, a deeper, deeper pain. So, you know, a position where you can control the depth of penetration is always going to be preferred. So for example, like woman on top, because you can control the depth with that, um, as well as the speed. So that tends to help even with like penetrative pain or deeper pain, or if you have both, um, doing, um, like, uh, penetrative rear vaginal entry, uh, can also be helpful, uh, for women with penetrative pain, um, as well. So, so those are, those are a couple examples or like spooning that, that position where, um, like the, uh, receiver is in front of the giver, so to speak, because I try to be very gender neutral in my, in my terms. And then they're both sidelining things, uh, facing the same direction and having like vaginal penetration, uh, with that as well also can be very comfortable for both penetrative and deeper pain. So those are like good standby kind of. Yeah, uh, no, those, are, 
definitely some good suggestions and there's some options there and maybe people can out there can try one and see if that works or helps. And then if not, they can try the next one and, and, and so on, um, you know, and so forth until they find one that works for them, you know, which is, which is, you know, great yeah. for just kind of experimenting a little bit too. So um, yeah. Okay. And there's actually like, I would not like product drop anything except that there is like a great, uh, it basically it's a penis bumper. So it's a device that would go around your partner or a dildo or vibrator um, to shorten the length of the shaft. So it's really yeah. helpful if you have deeper penetration, because then the partner doesn't have to kind of slow their rhythm or their you know, their vibe, it just physically can't go as deep. And the product Onut is, is the best one. Like there's others out there and they're heavy, they're weird, like Onut, O-H-N-U-T. Like that's, if someone has deeper pain, that's a good place to, to start. Oh, that's good. Is that something someone can find on Amazon or over the counter, let's say? Well, I've just on their website, like Onut.co. Okay. Great. No, that's yeah, great. Also, also over the counter. Yeah, definitely. Okay, great. Yeah, I had no idea that even existed. Now, I just want to dispel maybe another myth. I don't know. Maybe it's not. But if someone, let's say it's it's two partners, you know, one with a penis, one with a vagina, if, if a large penis goes into a small vagina, is that going to cause more pain or is that a myth? <laughs> I want to... Well, so, so not necessarily. I mean, you okay. know... I have patients that have really large partners, like they've got to get up into like, you know, two plus sizes above like the largest in the kit and they can eventually have pain free intercourse. So, um, it's not, I I feel like it is a myth and that if people are having pain, it's probably because they might, they might have some underlying pelvic floor dysfunction and it could be mild. So maybe they were fine with a smaller partner, but when they get someone that's in the, you know, 99th percentile of girth and or length that becomes a, a problem for them. Um, so mostly what I'm concerned about in my treating is them being able to manage the girth of it because I can affect the length of their vaginal canal. Um, and I've only ever had one person in the entire almost 20 years I've been a PT where I think that she was just physiologically, like her pelvis was so narrow and her partner was so big. I mean, we just kept going up in sizes and I'm like, really? And she was this tiny little thing. And that was like one person ever. So I would say in general, it's a myth because lots of people think that, but we can prove them wrong time and time again. Well, that's good to know. That's good because I feel like I hear that a lot, you know, Um, that's kind of the go-to. And I think maybe that even just helps others um, justify their pain to a certain extent, you know, or have an excuse for it because they maybe might be too scared to know what might else be going on or, you know, not really sure where to go for the education to try. Yeah. And unfortunately, like if they have one of these unaware doctors that they did tell their doctor may have told them something along that lines and made them believe that, or maybe that, you know, maybe this woman has something underlying like endometriosis and her mom and her sisters are like, sisters are like, Oh yeah, that hurts. But endometriosis runs in families. So they may have like an underlying medical condition that can be helped, but they've just normalized it within their family or within, you know, the doctor just hears it so much and they've normalized it. So yeah, that's, I think it's just like more myths perpetuating. 
Yes, exactly. Exactly. Now I saw something, it's a little, maybe off topic, maybe it's, you know, on topic. I'm not quite sure yet until I hear your answer, but I saw something on your Instagram and it just um, caught my eye and I wanted to ask you a little more about it. So um, the question is, how does hovering over a toilet to urinate not good for vagina owners? I'd love to hear the answer to that. <laughs> oh yeah. And perfect because the basically sexual health, when I am evaluating someone with their sexual health concerns, I'm also always asking about bowel and bladder um, habits. So if if they're sitting on the toilet to pee, like I know these things about my patients or if they're hovering. So um, no, it's not good if you hover because your pelvic floor muscles are going to be in a higher state of tension. They're not going to be fully relaxed. So we need to fully relax our pelvic floor so that our bladder can contract and push all the pee out. Um, if you're hovering, you're going to get incomplete emptying. And over time, that can lead to things like um, overactivity in the pelvic floor, which can lead to things like urinary urgency, um, incontinence, just uh, delayed voiding, um, incomplete emptying. So there's a lot of things that can eventually set you up for. So hovering over the toilet is a bad idea. And if you have so much urgency that you just can't get the toilet seat cover on and public bathrooms kind of freak you out because you just don't have the time, so you have to hover, then you definitely need a pelvic floor PT because we can help you with urinary urgency and frequency and urge urinary incontinence because that's like your main problem (laughs) that you need to get addressed. Interesting. Okay. Well, good. I'm glad I asked you because I saw that and I just, like I said, it caught my eye and I wanted to know. Um, so speaking of, you know, your work and in, in, in your, in your clients and whatnot, um, you know, I know there's in the mental health field, you know, that I'm in, you know, there's obviously a stigma around mental health, you know, it, it's out there. And I also think there's a stigma around medical health to a certain extent where if someone is having pelvic pain, pain during intercourse, et cetera, they may be apprehensive or hesitant to go see someone like yourself because, they might be scared, you know, or they might think, you know, they might be embarrassed, you know, for whatever the reason is. So what would someone who calls you for to make an appointment to become your client, what would they expect when they come to your office? So, um, from the like the first visit, our initial evaluation, we book out 90 minutes to two hours, just depending on a few different circumstances. And um, we're doing that because one, we need a complete history. Because if someone's having pain, they, they usually have a long history. I mean, even if it's just that their pain started after they had their first baby, which is very common and actually happens in almost nine out of 10 women postpartum, by the way, that yeah. was, you know, it's shown in research. Um like they're still then I have to talk about their childbirth history. I have to talk about their bowel, their bladder. I'm asking about their orthopedic considerations. Like back, do you have back pain? Do you have uh, hip pain? Do you have jaw pain? Like I'm really, I want the full history about when are they having pain? Is it just during sex? Do you have pain just during your period, during your period in sex? Do you have pain? Uh, you know, the timing of it, does it get better? You know, when you're not on your period, like I I have to have a lot of baseline measures. So there's a lot of talking at first, and that usually takes like 30 to 45 minutes. And then I do a two part physical exam because it's not just about, about the pelvic floor. It's about how the whole body influences the pelvic floor muscles to be able to be in a state of relaxation or kind of constant overactivity. So I'm looking at posture, hip and back range of motion, flexibility of the muscles primarily between the ribs and the knees. I'm seeing how they breathe, um, doing some 
uh, sort of other special tests to see if their muscles are coordinated. Uh, so it's a sort of general, like how you said, you've been to PT before, after a car accident, like it almost would feel like that. Like you're fully clothed, you're just moving around for me and doing different things I ask you to do. And it feels very PT like, but then where we, uh, sort of verge off into the pelvic floor world is you get undressed from the waist down for the second part of the evaluation. And then we do a pelvic floor muscle exam and, and a tissue assessment too, because, uh, you know, there's people like me and like pelvic floor PTs have been doing this for a long time. We can kind of assess, like, we can't tell if you have an infection, but we can definitely tell if there's redness there, right? right? Like if it doesn't look healthy and pink, if it looks red, um, if we sometimes like, might see things like if it's something you have to wait three months to get in to see us, let's say, and you saw the doctor, like there could be changes there. And we're like the next set of eyes on it to make sure the tissue looks normal. And then we can refer back if we see something that, you know, maybe changed since they saw the doctor three months ago. Um, uh, And then we do an intravaginal muscle exam. We also can do intrarectal, but that's more for like rectal pain, tailbone pain, uh, bowel issues. So for someone with sexual dysfunction, we're typically not doing that unless they have some of those other issues too. And we're assessing muscle by muscle, the overall tone. Does it feel overactive, underactive? Um, Can they contract and isolate that muscle? How well coordinated is it with like their abdominal contraction, for example, and seeing if we can reproduce any of their pain. Like, does this feel like your pain? Is this the location of your pain so that we can kind of geolocate it and, and know what we're treating? So that would be the, the first visit, but we also give so much education on the anatomy, on why we want to lengthen the muscles before we strengthen them. We have like visual laminated cards because we really want people to understand why they have to, for example, use their medical dilator at home to to start treating this. And um, usually they'll go home with that dilator set on day one or usually by day two at the latest, depending on a lot of factors. And um, and then we just try to make them independent, but with our support to help push them along. And that's like, that's a, the goal of the first visit and follow-up visits are just progressing that home program and identifying any other orthopedic contributions that we found to their pain so that when they leave, they're unlikely to ever to need to come back because we haven't just addressed the pelvic floor. We've addressed the whole person. Right. Oh gosh. I love that. How long is a typical client stay with you? Is it a couple months or even up to a year or longer? Yeah. And there is no typical client, like everybody's different, but I would say the typical, for example, postpartum, since I know you sort of focus on a lot of parents, there's a lot of moms probably listening out there. Um, the typical postpartum sexual pain, if they didn't have pain prior to conception, uh, or the same kind of pain prior to conception is anywhere from three visits to, like less than 10, like they usually resolve pretty quickly, um, like maybe three to six visits. Um, the patients that have had pain from the first time they ever tried to use tampons and could not use a tampon, they can take four to eight months, sometimes longer, mm-hmm. uh, because they've, you, they probably had this problem since their, their teen years. And now I'm seeing them when they're 30. So, right. uh, you know, there's a lot of undoing to do and it, it can take a while. Um, if they have suspected or confirmed endometriosis, that's something also that's been going on from their like early teen years, preteen years. Um, so they typically can take usually four, uh, like 
four plus months as well. Um, and that's also dependent on if they're just post-op or if we're seeing them pre and post-operatively. So yeah, not like a typical patient. Um, for stress and urge incontinence, those usually fall between like six to eight visits if they don't have any other like pain. So okay. yeah, it just varies depending. And then if someone has uh, stress incontinence, but also sexual pain, but also back pain, then you're just kind of, you're not like exponentially multiplying, but you're just adding more time to the whole picture because there's a lot more driving their the thing they came in for, which was maybe painful sex, but they've also been peeing their pants since they were 17 and you have to address it all together. Right. That makes sense. That makes sense. And like you said, there is a range, you know, depending on what you're coming in for, you know, like any doctor's visit, you know, really. Um, and but what, real quick before we end, I just wanted to ask you, I know you, you touched on this and it made me think of one more question about tampon use and um, people out there that may have um, pain, you know, during tampon insertion, possibly even during an annual OBGYN gynecological mm-hmm. exam, you know, something like that. Um, is that someone you, something you would see someone for too? And is that uh, also addressed in your yes. practice? Oh, yes, absolutely. Um, usually that comes with a diagnosis of uh, vaginismus. And that is something we see all the time. Like I have seen many like 17-year-old girls going off to college. They're kind of mortified that they can't use a tampon yet. And that just becomes their goal. And with parental consent and the patients are very aware of what we're treating, like I will do internal assessment and treatment for them. But their goal is not intercourse. Their goal is just to be able to use a tampon and to have like a pain-free gynecologic exam for, for other patients too. So if that's what their goal is, you know, I don't make everybody go through a full dilator kit if that's not their goal. If their goal is they just right. want to have a pain-free gynecologic exam, then we can usually, you know, get by with like a fewer fewer dilators than are in the kit for those things. Sure. And could that lead to painful sex later on for someone? Um, maybe yeah. they don't treat them early, but if they're not treated for that and later on, could that same uh, situation come up during sex as well? Absolutely, because they're already having pain with inserting something very small. So um, it almost creates more fear and more likelihood that they'll have pain with intercourse because they couldn't even put a tampon in. And I have I have had many patients that have never had sex but had a, you know, have always had difficulty using a tampon. They're engaged. They want to be able to have sex on their honeymoon. They know it's going to be a problem. So they're very proactive in making sure that their honeymoon is not a disaster. Right. Oh, that's, I'm, I'm so glad that, you know, there's, there's people out there that are being proactive about it. You know, I think, I feel like a lot of times situations like these, you know, are, are somewhat retrospective, you know, um, they've been happening for a while and, you know, they finally come into someone like yourself. Um, so I'm glad to hear there's, you know, preventative strategies that we can, you know, help, you can help people with as well. So that being said, where can people find you? If you would just say your website, your social, um, where can they find you possibly to make an appointment or learn more, or maybe even buy your book? Yeah, so I'm I'm kind of all over the place. I have my my two different offices. My female-based services can be found at feminapt.com. Um, I have my all gender, non-gender services and pediatric pelvic health services and under fusionwellnesspt.com. We have 
Instagram handles are our most active for all of those. I'm at the Lady Parts PT. That's our most active one. Um, and then I have uh, Femina PT, Fusion Wellness PT as our other Instagram handles. My book can be purchased at SoulSource, which um, soulsource.com. They also sell dilators there as it so happens. Um, so if you need everything, you can get it there. But my book's also on Amazon and I have a PDF download that you can get immediately if you don't want to wait for the mail. It's at sexwithoutpainbook.com. And um, I think that kind of covers it. Oh, yeah. good. Yeah, there's a lot. There's a, there, You're out there and I love that. And I know this episode is helping so many people out there. So thank you so much, Heather, for all of your time, for your wisdom and all of your advice. I definitely know it's it's going to help so many people. And that's what I love. Thank you, Kim. I just so appreciate you helping get the word out there because we just were this secret that no one knows about in medicine. So thank you so much. Thank you for joining us today. I can't wait to have you back for more. Make sure to subscribe to the Parentologist podcast so you don't miss an episode and make sure to tell your friends. This podcast is not intended to be a replacement for therapy. If you or someone you know is in crisis, please call 911.